0: Good morning. I'm speaking, Ooh, reading from Matthew chapter Matthew 3 verses 1 to 12. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and say, saying, "Repent for the kingdom of God has come near." This is he who has spoken through the prophet Isaiah, "A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make a straight paths for him." John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, "'You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance.' and do not think you can say to yourselves we have abraham as our father i tell you that out of these stones god can raise up children for abraham the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire i baptize you with water for repentance but after me comes one who is more powerful than i whose sandals i am not worthy to carry He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire.
1: Hi everyone, good morning. Uh, my name's Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Pracker. Uh, great to be with you this morning. I've left behind something over here. Where are we? When I was a child, my mum brought me a Spider-Man suit. So I would run around in this Spider-Man suit and uh, people thought it was kind of funny. Uh, older people thought it was kind of funny. Um, then my mum brought my son a Superman suit, and it made me think, Does that mean Mum considers me to be a dangerous creature while she considers her grandson just to be super? I don't know. Later in life, I did a test on the internet, one of those things where you answer you know ten questions and it tells you which superhero you'd be. Can you guess i, I I'm not Spider-Man. Can you guess who I am? What do you think, Eva? It's not Superman. That's a good answer, though. It said I was Batman. Can you believe it? No? No one can. Has anyone done these tests? what, what, what What do you think you are? No one knows? Never mind. Superhero stories. They're all the rage at the moment. In fact, two of the top five movies of all time, top five grossing movies of all time, two of them are from the recent Avengers series. But these movies, they all have a lot of, these superhero movies have a lot of common elements. And this week, I've been wondering have they just stolen their material from Matthew? See, Matthew, it's a biography of Jesus' life. We read chapters one and two over Christmas time, and now we're going to spend the next nine weeks just slowly moving through the next few chapters. We're going to dig deeply into the beginnings of Jesus' mission on earth. But what we see is that this is like an ancient version of a superhero movie. It really is. It's got all the elements that the modern superhero movies have. There's the the humble beginnings of the hero as Jesus was born in a stable. There's the commissioning and reassurance that the hero is on the right track, which we get at the baptism of Jesus next week. There's an initial test that the hero has to pass before he begins his mission, which we see in the temptation of Jesus and there's the launching into the mission and the initial success, which, which is what happens when Jesus begins his public ministry. There's all of the things that the modern-day superhero movie has. It's all right here with Jesus in, in the book of Matthew. But here's one more element that, we, that I haven't mentioned so far. That is... The superhero movies—they often start by talking about a, a predecessor, someone who's come before the main hero, an older, wiser one, who eventually becomes eclipsed by the younger, newer person who becomes our superhero. That's exactly what we see again in Matthew. John the Baptist comes. And this week, sorry, next week we're going to see how he prepares the the real hero, Jesus, for his work. But this week we see how John prepares the people of the time to meet Jesus, to meet the true hero. That's where we're headed today. Basically, we're just going to walk through uh, this chapter of Matthew uh, bit by bit by bit, uh, and uh, it'll be pretty clear what the main thing that Matthew is telling us is. Uh, but we meet John the Baptist in verse 1. He's a bit of an unusual guy. If you're thinking Star Wars, think th- th- this guy is like Yoda, he's unusual. Um, Not that he talks the wrong way around, but he's a preacher. John John is a preacher. He's a public speaker. And so where would you think a preacher and public speaker would go? He's not in the town hall. He's not on the TV. Instead, he decides to go out in the middle of nowhere, what they call the wilderness, uh, probably like around these areas where that circle is, except he's not staying near the cities there. He's staying out in the middle of nowhere. which is kind of strange if you're a preacher, right? But it's not very hard to find out what John was on about. Verse 2 makes it pretty clear. It gives us a, really a summary of what John was saying. Uh, if Superman had truth, justice, and the American way, this is what John the Baptist has. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at, has come near. Um, repent is it's, it's different to being sorry or, or confession. Those things are about um, being sorry and confessing. Those things are about admitting you've done wrong. Repentance is, is, is a little bit different. Repentance is about... Turning, do, doing a U-turn and turning around. Essentially, repentance is about turning from the way that you were leaving life, turning back to God and, and following Him. There was an ad on, on TV. I really wanted to try and find it on YouTube somehow, but I couldn't find it. Um, the ad starts with this older British couple. They've moved to Australia and they're they're getting ready for the the husband to go to work in the morning. He jumps in the car, and then it cuts to him sitting in the the traffic and driving around. And he gets a phone call from his wife as he's driving, and he answers it, hands-free, of course. And she says to him, Darling, I've just been listening to the radio, and you better look out. They're saying that there's a lunatic driving the wrong way up the freeway. And to which he responds, Yes, there is. But there's not just one of them, there's heaps of them. And it zooms out, and of course, he is the lunatic driving the wrong way out the freeway because he's come from Britain, and they drive on the wrong side of the road over there. It's a good ad. I'm, I think it was for insurance, but I can't quite remember. Um, but it's funny because the guy is oblivious to his error. This can actually be a real problem, though, uh, which is why sometimes you see these signs on the freeways in Australia. It's wrong way. Go back. That is exactly what repentance is. It's exactly what John's saying. He's saying, you're going the wrong way. Turn back. Turn back to God. Repent. That's the big thing John is saying. And we keep hearing this again and again and again in these 12 verses. John tells us to repent. John tells us to turn back to God. But you also notice he says, why? He says, what does he say again? Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As we read through Matthew, we're going to keep hearing about the kingdom of heaven, or or sometimes just called the kingdom. This is talking about uh, God's kingdom. Way back in the day, it used to be really easy to spot God's kingdom. It was the, the nation of Israel. Here were God's people, a nation full of people living in the land that God had given them. It used to be easy to spot the kingdom of God. But 600 years before John the Baptist came, well, it all ended. God's God's kingdom collapsed. Another nation, the Babylonians, they'd come and they'd overpowered Israel and they'd taken the Israelites back to their country and the Israelites were now in exile. They were away. There was no kingdom left anymore. God's prophets promised they would return from Babylon back into their land and sure enough, after 70 years of exile, they came back. But the kingdom of God, it, 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 it never really happened again. Because there was always other nations in the area. They were more powerful, more influential. They ruled over God's people. God's people were subjugated. It didn't seem like God's kingdom really existed anymore. But, but there was this expectation. Again, the prophets told them there was an expectation that one day, God is going to come and God is going to act. He's going to come down and He... Would restore his kingdom. And that's what verse three is all about. It's a quote from an Old Testament prophet called Isaiah. He's looking forward to a time when God will do this. He will restore the kingdom. And, and verse three quotes from Isaiah, and it says, "A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him." God is, God is coming to put things right. But before he gets here, he's, he's going to send someone else. Someone to get things ready. Someone to get people ready. That one is John the Baptist. In a sense, Matthew is telling us, "No, no, no. John, he, he's the real deal. He's here to get you ready. This isn't a fire, dear friends. This is actually happening. This is the real thing. God is coming. He's coming to restore his kingdom. So get ready. And what does it mean to get ready? It means repent. It means turn back to God. verse 1, we already saw John was an unusual guy. He's a preacher, but he's living in the middle of nowhere. If we have any doubts about how strange John was, verse 4 makes this even more clear. His, His clothes are strange, right? He's wearing a coat of camel hair, and to keep himself modest, he puts a belt around his waist as well. And then he eats some strange stuff too, right? Like locusts dipped in honey. Well, let's be honest, if you had to eat grasshoppers, wouldn't you be dipping them in honey as well? John, he's, he's obviously living very modestly here, but, but what's the point? Why has Matthew told us this? It's here as, as a reminder, as a hint about somebody else. It's reminding us of Elijah. Elijah was, was one of the great Old Testament prophets. And what did he wear? Clothes made out of animal hair leather belt around his waist elijah was this great prophet who called on god's people to repent see back in the day when israel still had kings uh, elijah told them stop your idol worship repent and turn back to the real god unfortunately they didn't listen and so the nation ended up in exile but god promised before he came down he was going to send another elijah a second elijah To get people ready. And this is what the Old Testament prophet Malachi said. He said, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. The Old Testament here, it's it's pretty clear. It's telling us to expect another Elijah who's going to come and get us ready. Get us ready for God who will restore the kingdom. And John comes, even his clothes are a hint to us. Here is this second Elijah. So get ready for God to act. Get ready for God to come. Repent, friends. turn back to him. I just want to make a side point here. Notice how much uh, notice how much Matthew is pointing back to the Old Testament. It's, it's really one of the features of, of, of this biography. There's heaps of references and images taken from the Old Testament and used again here. And actually, when you think about it, the whole New Testament is like this, right? It's full of, of quotes from the Old Testament and pictures from the Old Testament and references to what happened in the Old Testament. And so I just want, and this isn't the main point here, but something I just want to encourage you. Friends, don't, don't, let's not be those who neglect, neglect our Old Testament, right? Let's take time to read it for ourselves. Let's take time to get to know it well. For starters, the Old Testament itself is so rich in what it has to say. But then it also opens our eyes up and we can understand in in an even richer way what the New Testament is saying to us as well. Friends, let's not be those who neglect the Old Testament in our own Bible reading times. In fact, this is what we want to do in our church, so... This term, our community group material, we're looking at parts of Matthew, but, but the material we're using pushes us to go back into the Old Testament lots. So we dig in the Old Testament so we can better understand what Matthew's saying. And in fact, each, each year here on our Sundays, we want to make sure we're hearing from the Old Testament as well. So we, we, we're going to make sure every, every year we, we, we look in depth at Old Testament parts of the Bible. We've already started to do that this year uh, in the holidays. We're digging through the Psalms. At Easter time, we looked uh, at uh, Isaiah and how, how he sees ahead to what Jesus is going to go through in his death and resurrection. In term three, we're going to have a longer series going through some of the Proverbs and then, and then also the prophet Habakkuk. The Old Testament, friends, is so rich. Matthew digs into it. The, the, the New Testament writers keep digging into it. I just want to encourage us to be those who do the same. Yeah, that's not the main point of the passage, but but so let's jump back into the passage now. Uh, John is out there in the wilderness. He's telling people repent. The kingdom is coming near, and it seems to be catching on. Actually, uh, people are coming from all over the place to see him. They're coming from the capital city Jerusalem. They're coming from all the province of Judea. They're coming from up and down the Jordan River. They're coming from everywhere to see to see this guy. And you can imagine what they're saying to one another, can't you? You know, ah. Have you heard about this John fella? Oh yeah, my, my auntie went out to see him last week, says he was real weird. Yeah, my neighbour reckons he eats insects. I heard it was spiders. I heard it was grubs. Apparently he says something big's gonna happen soon. That's what I heard too. You wanna go out and see him next week? Yeah, I'm gonna take the family. He's got people talking here and they're coming from all over to check things out. But he's not coming they're not coming just because of what he's saying. They're also coming because of what he's doing. You see in verse 6 that he's baptizing people. And the idea that the thing that's connected with baptism here is confessing sins, it's admitting that we've done wrong. As people admitted they did wrong, as they confessed their sins, John would, would dunk them in the water, immerse them, baptize them is supposed to be like a symbolic act of cleansing. It's, it's, a, it's a washing the outside of the body. It's, it's a sign that you want to really be clean and turn back to God. This is the idea of repentance we're seeing again and again and again. So here's the picture. John's an unusual guy, but heaps of people are flocking out to see him. Look, if they had newspapers back then, John is on the front cover every, every week. And what's he all about? He's telling people, turn back to God. Turn back to God. John's become so popular that some of the religious leaders have come out to check things out for themselves. In verse 7, we see the Pharisees and Sadducees are coming out to John. A little bit of background here. Um, When John was around there were lots of uh, Jewish religious groups and they all had the leaders of their different groups as well. You'd recognize many of their names from the Gospels, the scribes, the elders, the priests, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they, all of them, they agreed on some of the basic Jewish truths, like there's one God and only one. But they had lots of different ideas on the other things, things like they, they disagreed on what happened when you died. But no matter who they were, these people were generally held up to be decent people, important people, the kind of people who are well-respected in society. And so when they come out to John, what do you think he says? Oh, come over here. I've got a nice place for you guys to sit up the front. No, that's not what he says, is it? When they come out to John, he says, You brood of vipers. At that moment, you can imagine everyone goes quiet did, did i just hear that did, did i hear that right did he really say to the to the pharisees L- last year a company called um yougov did some research into the person or people that australians admired the most can you guess who it is Ast- who's the person that australians admire the most Jacinta Ardern, the New Zealand Prime Minister. She was actually pretty high up there, but she wasn't, she wasn't quite there. Um, I thought it's got to be the captain of the Australian cricket team, isn't it? But then, of course, the uh, cricket team has been through a bit recently. Uh, Australians most admired Sir David Attenborough, and number two was the Queen. When I heard that, I thought oh, that makes sense, doesn't it? We, we, we're used to his voice on all of our nature docos. Now, imagine for a moment, we're, we're back at the start of our time together here, Stuart's up the front, and so David and Queen Lizzie walk in the back door. And we'll turn and notice them, and, uh, and imagine Stuart notices them as well, and he turns to them and he says, You pair of weasels, what are you doing here? That, that would be Stuart, no. <laughs> you can't imagine him saying that, can you? Of course not. But, but imagine, imagine if that happened. Imagine how you would be feeling on the inside. The heart starts pounding a little bit. You're thinking, what is happening? That's not right. It's probably close to what the crowds are feeling when John launched into the Pharisees and Sadducees like this. It's not that John's just a grumpy old man. It's that he's actually noticed the problem with these leaders. He says it's a problem of repentance. Verse 8. Produce fruit, this is what John says to them, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You say you've turned to God, do you? Then show it. Show it in the way you live. Produce the fruit of repentance in your lives. This would have been incredible to hear at the time. And actually, this is a a theme that we're going to keep seeing throughout Matthew's biography. The Pharisees and, and, and the other religious leaders... They're they're like the Lex Luthor. They're they're the Thanos, the Joker. They're they're the villains, the bad guys in the story. John rips into them here. Jesus keeps going at them all through Matthew as well. And here's the heart of the problem with these religious leaders. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. They talk a big game, but they haven't turned to God. They might look religious. They might be able to say all the right things. But there is no true repentance in them. Hypocrisy. Uh, Ravi Zacharias was a renowned Christian leader. Perhaps you've heard of him. He had an international ministry, was invited to speak at all sorts of important events, debated some of the big atheist names. His books were sold all across the world. Right, This guy was a big player. Last year, uh, he died. And after he died, we began to hear of some of his serious, serious misconduct as a leader. I won't go into the details. Uh, we don't need to rehash that now. You can read about it for yourself if you want. But it- it's bad. It's had a horrible impact as well. This, this international ministry that he left behind is it's now in tatters trying to rebuild itself. There are plenty of people who considered him to be a, a mentor, who learned from him, who worked under him. And they're left feeling hurt, let down, numb. And surely worst of all, though, is the people he abused. Well, it's... Shocking, isn't it? It's 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 wrong and it's nasty and it's just not right. Here is a Christian leader, well respected, important guy, huge influence. He talked a big game, but his life missed the mark, and it missed the mark horribly. The hypocrisy was horrendous. I don't know where he's at with Jesus. I don't know where he was at with Jesus. I hope he begged for forgiveness. I hope he turned from sin. I hope there was real repentance there. But here's the thing, the exact thing we're seeing John rail against. These religious leaders come out to see John and John doesn't miss his mark. He saw their hypocrisy and he called them out on it. To be honest with you, um, this week I've found working through this to be heavy for me personally, Um, it's made me feel the weight of being a pastor a little bit more. Uh, It's driven me to examine my own life, to um, feel the burden of sin in a way I probably hadn't uh, for the last little while. Because I'm honest with you here, I'd be devastated if this was me. I'd be devastated because of the implications it has for for Jesus and, and, and the gospel, I'd be devastated for the implications that it had for you as a church if I was to fail and be such a hypocrite like this. And as I was wrestling with this this week, I thought, there's one thing I just want to ask from you guys right now, and that's for your prayers. Please pray. Uh, please pray for me that as I aim to lead you and seek to lead you, pray that I wouldn't talk a big game and then go and live life as a hypocrite. Please pray for me. And don't just pray for me, though. If you're in a community group, would you please pray for your community group leaders? For, for, for the same thing again? If you've got kids in the kids' program, will you pray for your Trinity kids' leaders? That they would not be found to live lives of hypocrisy either. For, for all of us, can we all please pray for our leadership team? Can we pray for the leaders across the Trinity network? Guys like Paul Harrington and the senior workers, senior pastors in some of the churches, please pray for us. Please pray that God would keep us from this hypocrisy. This hypocrisy that is so poisonous that John will call out these respected religious leaders and say, you brood of vipers. Pray that, pray that God would keep us from that. Back in the passage, the situation is tense. And when you think things just couldn't get any more tense, John turns up the heat again. And he starts to talk about judgment in verse 10. He says, The axe is at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This is not hard to understand what he's saying, is it? Pharisees bear good fruit. Sadducees, stop the hypocrisy. Both of you, turn to God. It's the same thing we've seen again and again and again throughout the passage. And it's at this point some of us can hear it. And um, we, we might be starting to worry a little bit. You know, Perhaps we've, we've, we've noticed some sin in our lives recently or, or it might just be a tender conscience that we've got to our own struggles. And we hear this and we wonder, maybe this is me, maybe... Maybe I'm not really producing good fruit at all and I know I muck things up all the time and maybe, maybe John's describing me here as the tree that's going to get cut down and burned. If you're worried about this, I just wanted to remind you, remember who John is talking. John is talking here to the, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are the religious leaders who through their hypocrisy are actually leading other people away from the truth. And remember how John treated people who came to him? He welcomed them, didn't he? He didn't turn anyone away. He didn't cast doubts on if they were eligible to be in with Jesus or not. He simply urged them to confess, to admit they're wrong, to repent and turn from, from wrong to God. And then he baptized them as a sign of the cleansing that the new life would bring. So if you're hearing this today... And you're worried about your state before God. Um, Remember, you can confess your sins to God at any time and he will hear you. More than that, more than that, friends. You can be assured, because Jesus has died for you, you can be assured that God will forgive your sin. You need to hear that. And there's more to come as well, actually, for those of us who are feeling tender at this point. In verse 11, John speaks about one coming after him. And John says, he's going to baptize you just like I did. But his baptism is different because I dunked you in water. The outside of your body was washed. But, but the one to come, he's going to dunk you. He's going to set you. He's going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is the one who can really change us. He changes our desires so we can repent. So we can turn to God. This one coming after me, John says, he's going to baptize, us in, baptize you in, in purifying fire so you can be clean, truly clean on the inside. This baptism doesn't just deal with the outside. It deals with the inside. It deals with my whole self. This baptism allows me to live that life of true repentance, of turning to God. It doesn't come from John. It comes from the true hero of the story. It comes from Jesus. We'll meet him next week. So then I have a couple of conclusions to draw at this point. Two. Firstly, this is not meant to make you despair of your salvation. Are you a follower of Jesus here this morning? Then, then hear this. What John is telling us to do You've done that. That's you. He's describing you. He's talking about repentance. And that's you, isn't it? You've repented. As you've, you've turned from your old life to, to live for God. You've decided to point your life towards God now. John isn't asking you to do anything. Friends, you've done it, you've done it already. So, and, and this is the second thing. So, so just keep doing that. That's what this passage is urging us to do. Repentance isn't about making one decision one day and then that's it. It's not a kind of set and forget thing. Repentance is, 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 is about turning your life to God and you keep living that way. Keep living your life in that direction. We wake up each day and we decide, no, I am. I'm going to be living my life going towards God. And then I notice maybe one day that I veered off a little bit over here and, and I ask for God's help to bring me back. Repentance describes what we did when we decided to follow Jesus and it describes the life we keep living now. Turning to God, living for Him. Relying on His Spirit for the strength to do this. It doesn't mean that suddenly we we, we have no problems with sin, no temptation, no stumbles. And I think we're we're about to sing a song that that actually really helps us capture this. It's it's a song called Come Thou Fount. It's actually a prayer. It's a prayer that's saying to God, God, You've got me here. You've rescued me by Jesus. My life is now yours. I'm turned to you. Please help me to keep going in that direction. So the music is going to come. We're going to sing this song now. There's a part in this song that goes like this. I think this captures really well uh, what life is like. It says, Oh God, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel this. I'm, I'm prone to leave you, the God I love. So here's my heart, God. Will you take it? Will you seal it? Will you keep it so it's always yours? Will you seal it for your courts above? Normally we end this by by, by me praying. Today we're going to end by praying together as we sing the words of this song together. Thanks, guys.
2: So